0: Welcome to New Life. How are we doing today? Very good. Very good. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to me for a little bit today. My name is Dave, and I am so just honored to be able to share God's Word with you today on a very special day, Father's Day. Uh, Let's let's kick off today's message just by giving God, the, the Heavenly Father, a little bit of praise on this Father's Day. So let's put our hands together for Him and really just... Prepare our hearts to hear from him. I want to say happy Father's Day to all of the fathers at all of our locations, including my father-in-law, our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff. Uh, months ago, my wife and I were talking, we were like, okay, what should we do for Jeff uh, on Father's Day? And she said, actually, I think if you would just preach so he could be in church, but drink coffee at the same time, that'd be the best Father's Day gift. And so, I'm just kidding, that conversation never happened. It just worked out well. This way. But when I think of fathers, I think of legacies and the legacies that they leave behind. And one of the best fathers that I ever got to witness in my life was actually my mom's father, my granddad, Fran Hunt. He grew up mostly in North Platte, where I've been living with my family for the last eight years. He graduates high school, he joins the Navy, and goes on and just lives this uh, incredible life. And one of the things that stands out to me is the decision that he made right after he had enlisted in the Navy. Before he'd even shipped out, he was telling one of his friends that he had just joined the Navy. And she made this comment that was kind of a disparaging remark about the life that he was then going to live. Like the changes that were going to happen in him that weren't good. You know, he was going to be full of, you know, this crazy lifestyle and debauchery and all of this. And he said, I don't really know why she said that, but I made a decision right then and there that when it was Sunday, no matter where I was in the world, I was going to go to church. And then for seven decades plus after that decision, if it was Sunday, he was in church. And there was a commitment that my granddad lived out that impacted not just his life, not the life of my grandmother whom he later married, uh, not just their kids, but me as, as their grandchild and one of their many grandchildren, and now they have great-grandchildren. It's left a legacy that I want to see passed down to our kids and their kids and their kids, that commitment to the Lord. That's what we're talking about today, an unwavering faith in commitment to God. You see, we're all committed to something, Uh, And oftentimes we're committed to multiple things. If you're married, you're committed to your spouse. If you have kids, you're committed to them. If you have a job, uh, whether you enjoy it or not, you may find yourself fully committed to it. If you, you know, enjoy a sport, all right, you, you find that you are committed to that sport. I'm committed to the Boston Celtics. I love watching them. Even though they lost the NBA Finals recently, I'm still committed to them. What are you committed to? Or better yet, what would the people in your life say that you are committed to? See, what, we, what we're committed to matters. It's going to determine the quality and the direction of our life. If you're committed to quality friendships, that's going to lead to a healthier direction in your life. If you're committed to the local church... Which, by the way, I mean, you may not think of that as a commitment of yours, but if you're sitting in one of our auditoriums, if you are connecting with us online right now, that's an action that shows a, at least a certain level of commitment to the local church. That's going to lead to a healthier direction for your life. If, you're the, if I was to ask your, your friends, hey, what are you committed to? And they're like, oh, Netflix. If I want to know what's good on Netflix, I go to this guy. Okay, that might not be the healthiest Thing. but we're all committed to something and so it's valuable for us to take a little bit of time to consider what are we committed to and how does that impact the quality and the direction of our life. Today we're going to look at the life of Abraham and what we can learn about unwavering commitment from his story. Last week, Pastor Chris started our series Unwavering by looking at Abraham and the call that God had on his life and he gave us that simple definition of what a call is, that it's a command, With a promise, God called Abraham to move to the land that he would show him. And along with that came this this promise of blessings. That he'd be made into a great nation and so on. Well, between that story and the story that we're going to look at today, God miraculously provides Abraham and his wife Sarah with a son named Isaac. He's their first son and he happens to be born in their old age. In fact, when Isaac is born, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old. All right, so it was a fairly miraculous thing. In fact, Sarah laughed when she found out that she was going to have this child because she didn't think there was any way. She thought it was impossible for God to be able to give them a child. It's difficult to fathom then just how special Isaac must have been for Abraham and for Sarah, because they'd waited for such a long time. You know, nowadays, we're in this society where we don't like to wait long for anything. I mean, like if Amazon, the order that I just placed, doesn't arrive in two days, I'm, I'm ticked off about it. I'm like, why don't they allow a drone to drop it here and have it here within 30 minutes? We're out to eat, and if our order takes more than 10 minutes, we're starting to think, okay, when, when is my pizza going to show up? But Abraham and Sarah... They've waited a long time for Isaac, and so he was incredibly special to them. Let's dive into the story for today. It takes a crazy turn. And you're probably, once I start reading this, you're going to think, why are we talking about this on Father's Day of all days? But let's take a look here. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. Starting in verse 1, and we're going to read a a bunch of this story, because I I just felt like when Moses wrote this, he told it better than I could if I tried to paraphrase it. So we're going to read this story found in Genesis chapter 22. Let's start in verse 1. It says, sometime later, so sometime after uh, Isaac has been born and God has done some other incredible things in Abraham's life, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Now turn to your neighbor and say, "Tested." tested. Tested, that's an important word. God tests Abraham's faith. He says, Abraham, God called, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. What a story to talk about on Father's Day. Taking your son and offering him as a sacrifice. You might be asking, like, what kind of sadistic God is this that wants to inflict harm and pain and suffering and do the unthinkable to ask Abraham to sacrifice this one son that he had given to Abraham and Sarah uh, miraculously, years after they should have been able to have kids, what kind of God would ask them to sacrifice Isaac? Now, spoiler alert, Isaac doesn't die here. Okay? He doesn't die, and in the process, God separates himself from all the other false gods of that time. You see, sometimes when we look back at an ancient text like Genesis chapter 22, we overlay kind of our modern context over the scripture that we read. But back in those days, in in Genesis 22, it was not uncommon for people to sacrifice children or sacrifice other humans to false gods. And so, uh, the, the only thing that might have been going on here, I think, for Abraham would have just been like, oh man, okay, well God, I thought you were different than those false gods, but okay, I guess it shouldn't surprise me, because I've heard a lot of people in our area have done this, where they've sacrificed their children. We go back to that very first word that I had you share with your neighbor, God is testing Abraham's faith. Will Abraham? be unwavering in his commitment to God, or will he waver and try to save Isaac himself? Before we move on, it's important to understand what a burnt offering is. A burnt offering, which is what he's asking Abraham to do with Isaac, is a burnt offering is this, it's a sacrifice to the Lord showing your dedication, showing that you're all in with your commitment to him, a burnt offering was an act of giving everything to the Lord, not trying to save even a piece, but you know, an entire animal. You're going to sacrifice everything and not hold anything back. And this God, this, this test that God has for Abraham, is going to reveal his faith. It's going to reveal his level of commitment to the Lord. And if we respond with obedience when we're tested, God tests, or excuse me, God's tests, build our faith. If we respond with obedience when God tests us, he'll use that test then to build our faith. So the beginning of the test for Abraham really takes place the next morning. He wakes up and he has a decision to make. Am I going to follow through with what God just told me to do or am I not? Am I going to listen? Am I going to be obedient or am I not? Let's take a look at verse 3. It says, the next morning Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place that God had told him about. Now notice right away, Abraham doesn't delay his obedience. How many of you that next morning, you'd have hit snooze a few times? And you had been like, I, I think I probably just dreamt that, and I don't really know if that was really what I heard. So I'm just going to keep sleeping, and I'm going to hope that when I wake up, it's a different test. ...that I've got set in front of me. But unwavering faith does not delay obedience. And we see that in Abraham when he gets up early the next morning. He prepares what he needs. He grabs his servants and he gets ready to go. Verse 4. On the third day of their journey. So again, this is, this is not a simple journey. He would have had plenty of time to turn back. He would have had plenty of time to talk himself out of being obedient. On the third day of the journey... Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Now notice, Abraham has no intention of coming back alone. He says we will worship there, and then we will come right back. This gives us an idea of Abraham's commitment to God. His commitment to God is not wavering. He continues to follow through with what God has commanded him to do. He doesn't necessarily know how Isaac is going to return with him. He doesn't maybe understand it. He doesn't necessarily see the entire path. And he doesn't see the ending of the story and everything in between. But he's got a faith, an unwavering commitment to God. And he believes, Isaac's coming back with me. We will come back. Continuing on, verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Now before we go on, let's take a little bit of time to consider how old might Isaac be? How old might Isaac be? It's worth noting that the Bible doesn't specifically say, he does, the Bible doesn't exactly say what age Isaac was. Therefore, it's probably not super important. We shouldn't make it the main thing when we're reading this story. But I do think it's important so that we picture this story at least somewhat accurately. When I was a kid, when I was a young adult, and I would read this story, I would picture Isaac as this young child that really couldn't help himself. But there are a couple of things here that I want to point ourself, or point our attention to that make you believe that maybe Isaac isn't this young young boy all right and by the way scholars and theologians they differ a, a fair amount on maybe just how old or excuse me Isaac was some think he was a child some think he's as old as in his 20s or his 30s but regardless of exactly how old he was I want us to hone in on these two details one Abraham stacks the wood on Isaac's back for Isaac to carry. Now, when I first read this story uh, years ago, I would have thought maybe Isaac's 4 or 5 years old. Now as a father, I've got a 5-year-old and if I stacked wood on Bear's back, he's not cu- carrying it more than about 5 feet. Okay? I've got a 3-year-old, City, which by the way, I'm going to try to drop all of my kids' names in this sermon because I tell them if I name them in a sermon, I have to pay them 5 bucks. This will be the best Father's Day ever for these guys. But Sidney is our three-year-old. If I stacked wood on his back, he'd probably just fall over. So that's one detail. The the other detail that we have to pay attention to, not only does Isaac put the wood on his back, but also he has the awareness to look around and say, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Where's the animal coming from? And so for today, and I'm not saying this is exactly how old he is, but let's just picture Isaac as a teenager. I think that matters, because as we read on, we're going to realize, man, there's a certain level of commitment to Isaac as well, because Abraham's at least 100 years old, and then Isaac is this maybe teenager. If he doesn't want to go along with what Abraham is trying to get him to go along with, he could probably get away. He could probably get away. Let's take a look then at Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. In his unwavering commitment to the Lord, he's willing to sacrifice the one son that God gave to him and Sarah. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. It's at that moment then Abraham looks over and there's a ram that's caught in the thicket next to them. And he realizes, there's the sacrifice that I'm supposed to give. The Lord has provided like he always does. Pick it up in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Say that with me. Will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and traveled back to uh, Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. So Abraham, remember, he told them, We will come back. They had no idea exactly what was going to happen, but he had an unwavering faith, a commitment to the Lord that, yes, they were going to go and they were going to follow the Lord's leading, but he knew that God is good and Isaac's coming back with me. So what do we learn from God? What do we learn about him and his character and his nature? The first thing is this, that God desires obedience. That was a primary part of this test. As he tests Abraham, he wanted to see, will you be obedient with the most important thing that I've ever given you? God desires obedience. The whole story of Abraham and Isaac, it's this test of his commitment to God. Will he obey? Will he not obey? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeff shared with you this this moment where we sense the Lord leading and and asking if, if Tiffany and I would move here. And that we would be able to send Tyler and Sarah Baroni out to North Platte. Will you be obedient to that? And that was a moment that tested our faith. But we decided above all we want to be obedient to the Lord's leading. And I want to just give a quick shout out to Tyler and Sarah. They're leading the North Platte campus today. And man, I think it's by the grace of God that we have this moment where we don't get called one way and leave North Platte just high and dry with no leadership, but yet, by the grace of God, we get to overlap for a little bit. And I've loved to see the way the North Platte campus is growing attached to Tyler and Sarah so quickly. Uh, so I want to say to you guys here at the Kearney campus, thanks for sending them. They are incredible, and we're excited about what God is going to do. Uh, I listen, sorry, this is not in my notes at all, but I'm on the worship team, and Tyler does wrap-up last week. And I told Tyler later on, I said, you know what? That's one area that you are more gifted than me, and I cannot wait to see how God uses you to call people to a place of response week in and week out. So North Platte, get ready. Uh, Tyler is gifted in that area, and I'm so glad that he's going to bless the North Platte campus with that gift. Uh, Secondly, so God desires obedience. The second thing is God provides when we're obedient he's not going to leave us high and dry, just like he did for Abraham and Isaac by providing the ram at that moment where they needed his provision. God provides when you and I are obedient. At just the right moment, he provides what we need. He may not be early with it, but he's also not going to be late. And if he's not going to be early, he's not going to be late. God's timing is going to be perfect. And so sometimes, We get ourselves worked up. We're worrying because we can't see further down the road, and he only is illuminating our very next step. Well, We've got to have the faith. We've got to have the trust. We've got to have the commitment to take that next step, knowing that I don't need to see step number two yet. Because God's going to be faithful in the first step, and then he's going to be faithful in the second step. And I don't need to have the second one illuminated until I've taken the first one. God provides when we're obedient. When I think of the word commitment here at New Life, one of the times that you hear us use that word the most is at the beginning of the year when Pastor Jeff shares the vision for where we're going with Kingdom Builders, and we, we let you know what missionary partners we're gonna be working with and, and what we're doing to raise up future Christian leaders and, and how we're helping plant churches and all of that. And then there's a moment where we're asked as a church, what is going to be your, uh, your Kingdom Builder commitment? For the year. I love that in the last couple of years, I feel like Pastor Jeff has really discipled our entire church well in that don't just ask, okay, what am I going to give that I can write into my personal budget? But we get to seek the Lord and we get to ask, Lord, what is it that you want me to give to kingdom builders? Beyond what maybe makes sense to me, I can stretch my faith and I can just say, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to give, let me know and I want to be obedient to that. This year, my wife and I, we had our faith, I think, stretched in a way that was really unique, maybe a way that maybe we hadn't uh, in quite some time when it came to what we were going to give. I'm not going to go into the dollar signs I, or like the, the actual numbers because I don't want to distract anybody with that, but when we got challenged to begin praying about what is it that you're going to give, and what are you going to believe God for this year, we both, collectively then uh, separately we, we prayed and we sought God and then we came together and he'd given us the same number. It's worth noting that this number was twice what we gave last year when we felt like we were being stretched. And so we just thought, man, if he spoke to you and he spoke to me, then okay, we, we probably heard accurately. And let's commit and let's go on this journey and let's believe that God is going to provide because we're being obedient to what he's led us to. Now fast forward to this past week, and we put our house on the market, that we felt like that was kind of the first domino that needed to fall in this transition to get us here to the Carney campus, and so we put our house on the market, uh, I think the for sale sign went in our yard Monday when our realtor got off work, and then uh, we knew that we were going to have some offers, or at least that's what we were hoping for within just a few days. Well, Wednesday morning I'm out and I'm praying uh, like I do most mornings, and and it comes to me, and I, I don't want to over-spiritualize it. It's not like the heavens were parted and God spoke in a, in a thunderous voice. It wasn't like he had some sparrow fly in front of my face and start speaking English to me. But I get this sense that we're supposed to sell our house and we're supposed to use part of what we would get from the sale to either fulfill our entire kingdom builder commitment or at least a, a big portion of it. And so later that morning, I I tell Tiff, I just said, I think we need to consider doing this. I think we need to consider fulfilling our kingdom builder commitment once we've sold our house as a way of just thanking the Lord for his provision and and really just as an act of worship. And so Friday afternoon, we meet with our realtor and we walk into her office and there are multiple offers on the table and we land on one and we decide for various reasons, this is the one we're going to go with. And would you, would you know, uh, it was our exact amount for Kingdom Builders, the commitment that we had made back in February, it was that exact amount over our asking price. Now, you can write that off as a coincidence if you want to, but I'm not buying that. That it's the Lord leading every step of the way, and he will provide when we're obedient to him. Now, God also always blesses Obedience. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a prosperity gospel message, but he blesses our obedience. Remember what God said to Abraham at the end of the story. There were phrases like this, Because you have obeyed me, I will certainly bless. And at the end, he talks about, Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you obeyed me. Sometimes the blessing is financial. Sometimes it's the provision of peace when you need peace. Sometimes it's the provision of giving you joy in the midst of sorrow and grief. But God will bless you when you are obedient to him. That's what we learn from Abraham and Isaac. So how can we, after we've learned this about God, that he desires our obedience, he'll provide when we're obedient, and he blesses obedience, what does that tell us about us? How can we then develop unwavering faith that stays committed to God let's take a look at three keys to unwavering faith and commitment to God that we see in the life of Abraham that we can put into practice the first is this don't delay always obey don't delay always obey obey even when you don't know the outcome again God was the one that said because you have obeyed me I will certainly bless you so if we know that a blessing is on the other side of obedience, we don't need to know all of the outcome before we step into obedience. Obedience, it's the gateway to blessing. If you want to live a blessed life, be obedient. Don't delay, always obey. Number two, trust is a must. I was an elementary teacher for a while, and so I'm sorry, they're going to rhyme, at least the first two. Trust is a must. Reading through Genesis 22, it's a little bit like completing a puzzle. Are there any like people that just love putting puzzles together? All right, my family, back to my grandparents again, they love puzzles. It was so frustrating, though, when you put the puzzle together and you're missing one piece. All right, I have people, yeah, they, they, before I even finished the phrase, they knew where I was going. The piece, it's, you find it maybe stuck in the box, or it's on the floor, or maybe it's just gone. But anyways... What I'm getting at here is you can read through Genesis chapter 22, and you're actually missing a piece. It's a great story, but you miss a piece of Abraham's faith. Thankfully, though, God, in, in his complexity and in his, the way he just has everything thought out, he gives us that missing piece when the writer of Hebrews writes chapter 11, verse 19. It says this, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. That is amazing, because that gives us a picture into Abraham's mentality. He wasn't just going along, like, waiting and all worried and trying to figure out how he was going to make it all work out. It tells us right there that God, excuse me, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Now, it's worth noting that at this point, there is no recorded resurrection of anyone at that time. But Abraham is believing God for the impossible. He's believing God for something that's never been done before, at least in recorded history. He's saying that if Isaac has to die, I still trust you, God. I believe you could bring him back to life. You're the one that allowed us to have Isaac in the first place when biologically there was no way that we should have been able to have him at all. Talk about next level faith. When, when was the last time that you asked God and believed God for something that seemed impossible? When was the last time that you, you prayed or you stepped out in obedience, believing that God would do something that you didn't like, even think had been done before? Trust is a must. That's how we get there. Trust, like Abraham did, that God is good. That God is who he says he is. That God will never leave us. He'll never forsake you. He's never going to harm you. Yes, he may test you, but that's for your best. His test is for the best. Another rhyme. I didn't have that in my notes. All right, let's move to the last one. And I didn't have, I didn't have another rhyme. Believe me, ask Pastor Robert. I, I, I struggled with this one because I wanted it to rhyme, but here we go. The last one, give it all to gain it all. If you want unwavering faith, And commitment to God. We've got to get good at giving it all to gain it all. The Lord can't bless what we withhold from him. God wasn't going to bless Abraham with the descendants and all of that if he would have withheld Isaac from him. But instead, he gives, in a sense, everything. He gives it all. And he gains it all. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. If you give it all, you can gain it all. Jesus knew a thing or two about giving it all, right? Let's make some connections we, we draw this, this message to a close. Because really, Abraham and Isaac points us to God, the Father, and his Son Jesus Christ. There are so many parallels, there's so many connections. And I want us to spend just a little bit of time thinking about God the Father and Jesus Christ, his son. You see, in the the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham's this father that's got a son that he just absolutely adores, absolutely loves, loves dearly. It's his one and only son with Sarah. Abraham the father, God our heavenly father. Isaac, this beloved son, and Jesus Christ, the one and only son. Isaac carrying the wood on the altar. What does that make you think of? Jesus with the cross. Carrying the weight of the world. The sin of the world on his back for you and for me. There's this moment where Isaac is, in a figurative sense, brought back from the dead. Because Abraham had put him on the altar, he was ready for the sacrifice. And Isaac is lifted from the altar He's brought back to life. And then Abraham is able to go on and his family is, increases to the number of, you know, beyond what the sand on the seashore has or what the stars in the sky total. Jesus Christ is brought back to life after he's been sacrificed. He's raised from the dead. And that's why we're here thousands of years later to worship him, to live for him, to give it all. He gave it all to gain it all so that you and I may have a way back to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one could come to the Father except through him. God's family expands exponentially, all made possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Why did God send Jesus to die for you? Because he loves you. John 3, 16 and 17. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to maybe even close your eyes and just hear these two incredibly valuable verses that tell us about God and his love for us. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. If God loves you so much that he held nothing back, and He gave His best to you, then it's time to let go, hold nothing back, and go all in with an unwavering commitment to Him. If you're ready to take that step of obedience, to go all in and to give Him your unwavering faith and commitment to Him, then I invite you to stand to your feet, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to take a moment to worship the God that loves us, that provides us, that tests us in order to build our faith and to become more and more like him. Let us pray. Father, you are a good father. The best father that we could ever imagine. We thank you for the ways that you provide for us. We thank you for the ways that you test us to be able to strengthen us in our faith. Lord, may we be a church. May we be individuals. May we be families that are fully committed to you. May we give it all for you. Just as your word says, may we not try to cling on to our life. May we not try to be in control of our life, but may we let go and give it over to you. May we go all in out of an obedience to you, out of a commitment to you. Lord, as the the world throws different things at us that is going to cause us to want to waver and to, to step back and try to be in control, may we find that we lean in in those moments that we depend on you like never before. When the test comes, God, may we we lean in, may we seek you, because we know that you're going to provide. So God, build us today, test us today, speak to us today, and give us the courage and the faith to be obedient to you. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.